I don't know, all that clapping and swaying. I thought Presbyterians were the frozen chosen, but we are rocking and rolling here at Church of the Palms. So as Sarah mentioned, this month we're taking a look at companionship and who is it that joins us on the journey. And to that end, we have a couple of texts from the New Testament, first from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the 12th verse. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is writing in this great chapter that precedes another great chapter, the chapter on love, in which he talks about the body of Christ and the church. And he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And then in Acts chapter 15, we read these words. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and to see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in their work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, O Lord, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty hi-yo silver. I date myself when I recall with you those words that began every week of the next episode of The Lone Ranger, and I suppose I date you if by chance you recall those same words. The Lone Ranger, the early Western version of the superhero, nowhere in the pages of history, according to the narrator, can one find a greater champion of justice. The Lone Ranger, the comic book ancestor to the likes of Superman, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Frodo Baggins. The future of the world resting upon each of their mantles, each shouldering the heavy burden of truth, justice, and the American way, each seemingly singled out to take on the hero task of defeating the enemy, each all by herself or himself, resisting the kryptonite and the wiles of the Joker and the Riddler and the Golems, left alone to brood over the crushing burden of having to save the world. It is a lonely mission when you're the one who has to save the world. It goes with the title, I suppose, The Lone Ranger Must Go It Alone. 
But of course, that's not the way the story goes. It was never that way that the superheroes of our youthful reading and watching were alone in their quests and conquests. The comic book cover might say Wonder Woman or the Amazing Spider-Man, each in the singular. But the truth was and is that they're never alone. They always seem to have a companion, a sidekick, an important ally in the fight. Superman, his Lois Lane, Wonder Woman, her Wonder Girl, Batman, his Robin Frodo, his Sam Gamgee, and the Lone Ranger, his... Well done. His faithful companion, the narrator said, his faithful companion, Tonto, who saved him from near death and chose to ride alongside of him as he embarked upon his mission of justice and truth. The Lone Ranger, it turns out, was never alone. Even superheroes need somebody, it seems. Which is, I suppose, what the creator had in mind when the Genesis writer tells us that after putting the first man in the Garden of Eden and watching him struggle about, that God finally said to the heavenly host, because God, it appears, is not content either to be alone, God says to the heavenly host, you know, it's really not going to work out for this guy to be by himself. Many of you women know that, what we're talking about there. <laughs> Never a good thing to leave a man by himself. <laughs> not good for the man to be alone. And so Lord, the Lord fashioned a partner and said, from now on, it's going to be two by two. Life is just too difficult if you try to attempt it on your own. You remember the story of the man who decided to finally ask for a raise at work, but as he left home, he confessed to his wife that he was a little nervous about making this request of his boss, so he got to work, and at the end of the day, he gathered up the courage and asked his boss for a raise, and by his surprise, he got it. And when he got home that night, he noticed the dining room table was set with the best china, and there were candles and flowers, and he found his wife in the kitchen, and he told her the good news, and she kissed him, and she told him how proud she was of him, and so they sat down, and beside the man's plate, alongside of this beautiful flowers and candelabra, was a handwritten note that read, congratulations, honey, I knew you'd get the raise. All these things say how much I love you. After dinner, they were cleaning up, and the man noticed in the trash can another note. He picked it up, and it said, Don't worry about the raise, dear. You deserved it anyway. <laughs> and all these things tell you how much I love you. We were never meant to go it alone. In the best of times and the worst of times, our best life is in relationship. Stuart Wolf, chairperson of the Department of Medicine at the University of Oklahoma years ago, learned from a cardiologist friend of his who practiced up in northeastern Pennsylvania about an anomaly that he was experiencing. This doctor reported that all the communities he served as a doctor, that of all the towns from which his patients came, there was one town that seemed to exhibit very little evidence of heart disease. The, the people that came to him from this town showed dramatically low levels of cardiac issues. Wolf was intrigued. The town was Rosetto, Pennsylvania. Dr. Wolf decided to study Rosetto for 30 years. He studied what made that town what it was and what were the factors that would contribute to this curious level of health and how would they maintain that. 
Through his 30-year study, he observed first that the only distinguishing factor of Roseto relative to the other towns is that it was a smaller town, only 600, 1,600 residents, and that it was ethnically tied very close together. It was an Italian immigrant community. Every family knew every family. They worshiped together in the same church. They grew up together. They didn't move. They stayed in town. They stayed together. This was the distinguishing factor that Dr. Wolf linked to their low level of heart disease. Other towns were larger and were, had less links to ethnicity. Not that Rosetto had better cholesterol counts. They didn't. It's not that they were skinnier. They weren't. It's not that they smoked less. They actually smoked more. The only difference was that they were smaller and they were tied together. His second observation was that as time went on, Rosetto, Rosetto began to give way to the progress of time. And people began to move out of Rosetto and people began to move into Rosetto and people saw each other less and less and more and more people adopted the values of individualism and materialism and that as Rosetto progressed, the heart rate went That was the fact that the community made them healthier and the loss of community made them sick. It's not good for the man, for the woman to be alone. Our best life is in relationship. Best life, but not the easy life because relationships are never easy. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. Get you guys participating here. Go back to Genesis. As much as the man needs a partner, it isn't long after they get together that things go south. One bad choice, and before you know it, it's he said, she said. Before you know it, they're ashamed. Before you know it, they get kicked out of the garden. Before you know it, they have two sons who can't get along. The Bible is brutally honest when it talks about relationships, how hard it is to maintain family, how hard it is to maintain friendship, how hard it is to maintain community, because there's incredibly strong forces at work that want to pull us apart, want to divide us, want to convince us that it's better to break up than it is to stay together. Couples, friends, community. Just ask Jesus, the Son of God, who gathers together his merry band of brothers, his disciples, to be, to be community. And, and maybe if Disney were writing the story, it would all be peaches and cream. But Disney isn't writing the story. God in flesh is writing the story. And even Jesus can't keep the gang together, bickering, backstabbing. And within three short years, betrayal, denial, and desertion. Easier just to go it alone. Easier to give up having to hold on to each other. And just ask the Apostle Paul, who told the Ephesians, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. All good ingredients for a good relational life. It is this Paul, this same Paul, who never traveled alone and was delighted to take with him his companions Barnabas and John Mark on his mission. The three musketeers of the mission to the Gentiles. But then the Bible tells us in its brutal honesty that a difference of opinion was had. A difference of opinion and a sharp disagreement broke out on their 
next trip, Barnabas was ready to take, get the old gang back together again to get John, Mark, and Paul and him together. But Paul says, absolutely not. No, John, Mark. He bailed on us on the first trip. And Barnabas says, hey, wait a minute, what about this, you know, put away all bitterness, wrath, and anger? What about this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving? And Paul says, not going to happen. And Scripture says the disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. They parted company. No more painful words in the kingdom of heaven. They parted company. The forces are strong to pull us apart, to divide us, to convince us that it's just better to go alone. But the good journey is never an alone journey. It was never meant to be. It's why page after page the Bible keeps up with the steady drumbeat of two by two, three by three, four by four. Not just because it's a good thing, but because it's the only thing. It is not a good journey for the man or the woman to be alone. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to remind us and to empower us to love one another. To remind us and to empower us to hold together. To remind us and to empower us that while it's easier to say to another, I have no need of you. It's just as silly to say that as it is for the foot to say to the hand, I have no need of you. So Jesus says, I'm giving you to each other. I'm giving you the church. I'm giving you companions for the journey. And it won't be easy, but it will be good makes me think of years ago reading about a pair of conjoined twins named Ruthie and Verena Katie, joined at the chest, sharing a three-chambered heart. And the doctor said that they wouldn't live long having to share a heart, that their lives would be measured in days, maybe weeks. But days turned to weeks, and Weeks turned to months, and months turned to years. And the young girls learned to do life together because there was no choice. They only had one heart. They learned to walk together, four-legged walk. Remember those three-legged races that you didn't do very well in? Four-legged walk. They learned to ride a special tricycle together. They learned to dance together. They learned to roller skate together. And early on, they decided that one day one would make the decisions, and the other day the other would make the decisions. You do what you have to do when you share one heart. And if you don't like it, tough, you're stuck. Stuck all the way to the end. Nine years passed. Nine years passed what anyone thought they could do the time came for their shared, tired heart to slow. And Verena says to Ruthie, her heartmate, I think it's time, Ruthie. And Ruthie says, yes, I think it's time. Let's make a list, Ruthie, of all of our friends to invite to the party after we go. 
and they made their list. And then Ruthie closed her eyes, and Verena said, goodbye, Ruthie. And after a few minutes, Verena closed her eyes, too. Doesn't that sound like the good journey? Sharing a heart. Not an easy one, but a good journey. You remember the old story from the early pages of the Bible about the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law? I know that sounds like a bad journey right from the start. <laughs> the mother-in-law loses her husband and the daughter-in-law loses her husband and now all they have is each other, Naomi and Ruth, all they have is each other. Fear has, fate has taken everything else and the forces of despair and scarcity compel Naomi to say to her daughter-in-law, turn back, oh daughter, go back to your home because it's easier to go it alone. And then, Ruthie, then Ruth recites what may be the greatest poem in the Bible. Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. That's the good journey, the journey of a shared heart. I just got back last night from Kansas, where the Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, Kansas, celebrated my brother's retirement from the ministry. He has served that church for over 20 years and has been ordained for more than 40 I'm not sure there is a finer pastor in the land, and I say that with no ounce of objectivity. <laughs> but he's a McConnell, and you well know that McConnells can be flawed, like the rest of us human beings. But that little group of Presbyterians thought that he was pretty close to perfect. Worked his hardest to be faithful in relationship between congregation and pastor, showed up at the hospitals, the cemeteries, the baptisms, and the weddings, preached probably close to a thousand sermons to those good folks. Along the way, some disagreed with him, some didn't like a sermon or two, or some just got tired and left. But they were very few in number. The rest, they gathered Friday night. They didn't vote for the same person in the election. They didn't make the same amount of money. They didn't believe even in exactly the same thing. They gathered Friday night and they ate and they laughed and they cried and they gave gifts and they said thanks. Thanks most to God for he had given them to each other. And I was thinking that the good Lord must have been saying that this is the kind of thing I had in mind all the way back at the beginning. And that's the good journey, to see that we've been given to each other, to see that lone rangers need never be alone, to see that in the best of times and the worst of times, our best life is in each other. Not an easy journey, oh, but a good one. 
who was it that said that we are all angels, but with one wing, and we can only fly while embracing another? <laughs>